So from our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 14. The setting for Jeremiah chapter 14, pretty much up to this point, Jeremiah has been prophesying during the reign of Josiah. We'll go back and look at a little bit of his history tonight. But during this time, we find him delivering a prophecy during the reign of uh, Jehoiakim. Now, as we get to these last kings of Israel, we're getting pretty close. We're probably about 10 years out. We don't know for sure. Everything that Jeremiah is speaking is going to hit the fan in about roughly 10 or sooner when Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon will come and fulfill that everything that Jeremiah is speaking and talking about. But we've had a change in kings. Josiah got into it with the king of Egypt, and uh, he did this in the city of Megiddo, which is really the crossroads of, uh, of uh, Israel. It was um, a major crossroads that led into Asia and then down into Africa. And Solomon had fortified the city, turned it into a place for his horses. And it was here that Josiah, the good king, the king of reform, met his end. And after the death of Josiah, the nation began to drop back into idolatry. In fact, as we see um, our own country tumbling down, one of the things I asked Mary to do was um, add to the news bites. We couldn't actually put them in because they were already out. But there's another one that came out that just talked about this completion of a tunnel that tunnels under the Swiss Alps and goes into Germany. And um, for six hours, they had just a full-on pagan display and pornographic, and it doesn't get into the pornography in the news bites because it's written by Walter Martin's daughter, Jill, who is writing it for Jan Markell. I read it today, and the depravity and the open acknowledgement of the God of this world and uh, doing this as they're dedicating this long, long tunnel. Nine people died during the construction of it, but it just shows us where we are and how how far we've fallen as far as a nation and a country. Well, we're not far behind. And um, so I encourage you to, to take that along with your news bites. But so you get a feeling for the time here. Um, Josiah died at Megiddo. And um, we now have Jehoiakim. There's a Jehoiachin, there's Jehoiakim, there's Zedekiah. These would be the last three uh, kings that will reign before um, they're taking into captivity. We're going to be introduced tonight to prophets that are saying just the opposite of what Jeremiah is speaking. Jeremiah needs to be encouraged. The Lord seeks to encourage him. But um, he's making his stand alone. And um, only the Lord is there to encourage him. Um, it's amazing, you can read the Bible many times over and over again, you pick up on things. On, on, on Sunday, we were talking about it, or maybe it was Saturday morning at Men's Prayer, where after the temptation uh, that Jesus experienced after 40 days and 40 nights, <clears throat> it says angels appeared to him and ministered to him. And that spoke to me because I don't think we had really any idea the capacity of the necessity uh, for angels to show up, and we find it several times in the scriptures. 
Um, Paul, when he was on his ship, said, angel of the Lord appeared to me tonight and said, everybody's going to get saved as long as they stay in the boat. But anybody who gets out the boat, all bets are off. And um, they had to make a decision to believe the message of, of Paul or not. But the messenger happened to be an angel. An angel of the Lord stood by me tonight. And they said, but here's the deal. You've got to stay in the boat. If I'd make an application to that, it would be in these days, Jesus is the boat. And as long as you stay in the boat, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> no guarantees once you get out of the boat. And I see us drifting, and I see people being willing to try a new technique, another program, another way that isn't having Jesus Christ as the very, very center and the cornerstone and the solid rock upon which we must stand. And as long as you're in the boat, no problemo. You will, you will make it to your destination. The danger is being deceived in the last days so let's dive in tonight. So that's sort of the background. Um, judgment of a drought is coming. So we find in the first six verses, uh, Judah's drought is described again. The northern ten tribes have fallen into captivity under the Assyrians. The Assyrians ceased being a powerhouse. What in one night, another angel killed 185,000 Assyrians and pretty much the end of the Assyrian Empire, Sennacherib, their king was killed the very next night by his own sons out with Assyria. But before they were taken out, they took the 10 northern tribes, often referred to as um, um, Ephraim or um, Israel in the north. They had fallen, but that was about 710 B.C., um, one of the points that is that Jeremiah, through the Lord, is trying to get across to them is that they should have learned their lesson from their sister, Israel. When we're reading here, we have Judah and Benjamin um, in view here, and Jerusalem in particular. So the northern ten tribes have already gone and fallen. Um, Jeremiah is writing his book before, during, and after the invasion that he says is coming. So he is one against all the rest of the prophets that you will see uh, here tonight. So first the the drought, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Judah mourns, and her gates languish. They mourn for the land. And And the cry of Jerusalem has gone out. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and they found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded. They covered their heads because the ground is parched. Uh, For there's no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yes, the deer also give birth in the field, but left because there's no grass. And the wild donkeys stood in the, the desolate heights. They sniffed. At the wind like jackals, their eyes failed because there was no grass. Um, Got an email from my good buddy and friend, Pat Gahan. He's in Africa right now. And there's, of course, a big drought taking place uh, in California. And let me just interject because it's just coming into my mind now. Some of you haven't heard. But um, 
Um, last week we were, were with Warren and his wife Joy, along with T.A. McMahon, um, Ray Youngen, Carol Matriciani, Joanna Michelson, um, some good old musician friends of ours, Larry and Kathy Stewart, about 20, 25 to 30 of us in Cambria. And, um, you know, we often talk about having a mountaintop experience. Well, this was a love fest. I mean, we were invited to this, um, and this is sort of a, some of the leadership in the apologetic ministries in our country because of the things that are creeping into the church. We want to be able to address them and articulate it. But without exception, when you study mountaintop experiences in the Bible, starting with Moses, here he is, the very finger of God, writing the Ten Commandments. And uh, he comes down, and and, uh, here's Aaron (laughs) just making a golden calf, and everybody's dancing around, and it's it's an orgy. And you have um, Jesus transfigured with Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Elijah show up, mountaintop experience. But they come down, and the disciples are having problems casting a demon out of this boy. And so whenever you, I like to say, if you're having a mountaintop experience, don't be surprised the next day that you go home and your house burned down. Because that's what happened to Warren. On Sunday, his house burned down. And lost four of his cats. Joy's in total shock. And... Um, um, I got the call from the people who hosted this event in Cambry. And um, so we'll have a little insert on Sunday morning. Um, but, you know, Warren needs prayer. I called him, but I got a busy signal. And I figure when he's ready to talk, he'll, he'll give us a call. But we'll have more information on that in, in Sunday's bulletin. But in your own, own private time, uh, pray for Warren and Joy as they... Um, um, it was nothing more than an uh, air conditioner that malfunctioned and, you know, took, took the house down and it's not inhabitable. So there was a fire we found out one mile, and I just found out before I came out here that they finally got that fire out. But we have droughts in California. My friend Pat, um, we read this here and just how bad it is. And um, we, you know... We're spoiled Americans, let's just put it that way. We have air conditioning, we have water whenever we want it, (laughs) period. And um, he was getting into just how hard the lifestyle is. They went into a prison where there wasn't water, where there there wasn't uh, fit clothing and minimal food. And um, uh, as he got into describing in detail what these people go through, All you can say is, I have no problems. Amen? Because famines is one of the things in Matthew 24, we'll probably talk about it more on Sunday, that Jesus said would be a sign, that there would be famines in the land. And the likeness of what Israel is going through here, and I'm going to make this parallel over and over and over again. I don't think it's a coincidence. We're in Jeremiah right now with all that's happening. Um, We do not really have a happy, clappy message as we make our way through God's word here. And it starts out with, it's so bad that the deer gives birth, but there's no grass in the field. And um, uh, their eyes fail because there's, there's no grass and there's no rain. So the first six verses is the drought, of course, that was there. Um, drought's coming and, and go. It happened with the book of Ruth. 
Ruth and her husband left Bethlehem because there was no rain and they went to Moab and that's where they run into, run into Ruth. Now, beginning with verse 7, we have uh, the first of three times that Jeremiah is going to make intercession when the Lord has already told them um, he's not going to answer their prayer. But let's read verses 7 through 12. He says, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your namesake, for our backsliding ways are many. We have sinned against you. So here's Jeremiah standing in the gap, uh, acknowledging that everything that they're getting they deserve, but he's asking the Lord to um, do it for his namesake. Now I'll give you a little hint before we get in here. The Lord's not listening to it, but it can all ride on the hinges of really one man being so bad that the Lord says, I'm not going to answer your prayers anymore. And we'll get to him in just a little bit. But he's standing in the gap, and he says, verse 8, Oh, the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in a land and like a, a wayfaring man who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O oh Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Don't leave us. You can just feel the plea of this man uh, to show mercy anyway despite their depravity. For thus says the Lord to this people, thus they have loved to wander, they have not restrained their feet, therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquities now and punish their sins. And this is really what is going to perpetrate um, the great tribulation period. Um, people have this idea that this is going to go on and on and on and God's going to look away forever and he's not going to do anything about it. Well, God is not slack concerning his promise. He's not willing that any should perish, but there comes that line and he, there is that line is drawn. It happened in Genesis 6 where he says, that's it. I'm not going to strive with you anymore. And the rapture, the restraining force will be removed and the pagan celebration that they're just having right now in, in Europe, uh, well, all the restraint will be gone, and that full-on sin will be manifested worldwide, preparing the way for the Antichrist. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people. So he cuts them off. Now, when Daniel prayed this prayer, um, Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. He said, I understood because I was reading the book of Jeremiah and it says 70 years are determined upon your people. And then he goes into his prayer. So now here's Daniel taking in the first captivity. He is in Babylon, just like Jeremiah said, for the whole 70 years. Now it's come and gone. Now Daniel prays. Well, here, Jeremiah prays, and the 70 years hasn't happened yet. And when the Lord speaks to him, he says, don't do it. Do not pray for this people uh, for their good. Uh, When they feast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings 
and great offerings. I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. These three. Daniel, when he prayed, he acknowledged that everything, Lord, that you've done to us by bringing us here to um, Babylon, we deserved every bit of it. And when David prayed, uh, the first 19 verses of 9, well, instead of the Lord saying, don't do that, he actually sends Gabriel, and he gives him the whole 70th week of Daniel prophecy, one of the greatest prophecies in the world. But here the Lord is telling Jeremiah, don't do it. But picking it up in verse 13, here's Jeremiah's second intercession, and he says, Our Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, okay, prophets, plural, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. I want to read that again, because this is important. Prophets, plural, and then Jeremiah, prophet, singular. And his complaint is, all the other guys are saying, there's not going to be a sword, there's not going to be a famine, duh. There's a famine, guys. <laughs> Open your eyes. Uh, and I'm going to give you peace in this place. In other words, don't worry about a thing. Everything is going to be fine. And um, then in verse 14, and the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I haven't sent them. I haven't commanded them, nor have I spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, plural, who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they have no one to bury them them nor their wives, their sons, or their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness on them. Therefore, you shall say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke, with a very severe blow. If I go out to the field, then behold those slain with the sword, And if I enter the city, uh, then behold those sick from famine. Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land that they do not know. Flip over to um, um, Zechariah. It's right before Malachi, the last books in the Old Testament. And it's interesting. I was was, uh, just going over my notes in the back room, and I thought, Um, I'm going to stop at verse 5 of uh, Zechariah 13. And then they started singing the song in verse (laughs) 6 that the worship team did. So I quickly scribbled down my notes, add verse 6 because of song. (laughs) All right. The setting here is the last days right before the Lord returns. Verse 13, verse 1, it says, In that day a fountain shall be opened... Uh, for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. 
And it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the dames of the idols from the land, and there shall no longer be remembered, and I will also cause the prophets, plural, and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. A lot of these prophets were possessed by unclean spirits. And uh, they've been going around saying, all is well, all is fine. And yet, now, they're hit with a big-time reality check, and they've got to fess up that they re- they're really not. Notice what it says. It will come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father or mother who begot him will say to him, you're not going to live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. I used to have, there's always, you know, some people, they're young, maybe immature, think God speaks to them, and they come up and say, the Lord spoke to me and he's told me to tell you. You ever have that happen to you? If, if you haven't, stick around long enough, it'll, it'll happen to you. And my answer is always a pet answer. I says, great. As soon as the Lord tells me that, then I'll have a confirmation because the Bible says, let something be established in the witness of two. So if what you're saying is true, then the Lord's going to tell me. But he's going to tell me first, and then you're going to come up and it's going to be confirmed. And right now you're telling me first, therefore, bye-bye. <laughs> and that's the way you deal with it. But there, we'll probably get into this more on Sunday. Jesus says four times in Matthew chapter 4, one of the signs of the last days is false Christs, false prophets, doing signs and wonders to deceive many. That's one of the key signs of the last days. And how, do you, how are they characterized? Well, they tell you all good stuff, okay? No, don't worry about a thing. Everything's going to be fine. And matter of fact, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. I wonder if the Lord ever told that to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, come and follow him. I've got a wonderful plan for your life, Jeremiah. When he called them from the womb, and before he was even born, he had this all laid out for him. And he knew that it was nothing good, and he would not have anybody that wanted to listen to him. And now, um, verse 4 of Zechariah, it will be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision, when he prophesies, they will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. In other words, today it's not coarse hair that makes you a prophet. It's an all-white suit with, with a wave that goes through your hair. Just, you know, you got to get the wave just right. And you got to have that anointing. you got to be able to do, get that swish down really good. And um, you all know who I'm talking about. And, but, you know, they're false prophets. They have their own agenda, and um, we used to call them snake charmers, and, and uh, they are selling snake oil. And unfortunately, people today are gullible, and uh, many aren't. I think it's one of the hardest things we got. As, as born-again believers, we're swimming upstream against the flow of the, of the way the church is moving today. And, uh, but we shouldn't be surprised because the Lord said it would be so, just like Jeremiah. And then in verse 5, but he will say, now, uh, verse 5, but he will say, I'm no prophet, I'm just a farmer. Uh, for a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. Okay, that's where I drew my line for notes. 
And now we have an awareness where the Lord actually appears and someone will say to him, now the him here is a reference to the Lord Jesus. What are these wounds in your hands? Then we will answer, well, these are the wounds which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Um, Cross-reference John 20, verses 25 through 27. But it's a change of thought. I drew the line on verse 5, and then our worship team came out and sang verse 6. So I had, okay, I'll read verse 6 too. <laughs> um, all right, let's make our way back to Zechariah. So right before the Lord comes back, there's going to be these false prophets. And um, mom and dad will say, if you do that anymore, we're going to kill you. And then they come clean and say, oh, I'm not a prophet, I'm just a farm boy. So that's 13 through, uh, 7 through, where did we get through, 12 on that. Let's pick up now. We made it through 18 on, on those. Let's pick up the rest of the chapter. Here's Jeremiah's third intercession, verses 19 through 22. It's a question. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Well, Romans 11, 9, 10, and 11 address that issue. Paul says, certainly not. God has not forsaken his people. Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? Now, there's going to be an answer to this question, but it's coming in the next chapter. We looked for peace, but there was no good, and for a time of healing, and there was trouble. We acknowledged, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquities of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Uh, do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Now, this is Jeremiah's plea, and it's like God of wonders. Who can do what you do? Is there any God that can make it rain? Is there any God that can, can um, bring showers from the heavens? Are you not he, O Lord God? Therefore, we will wait for you since you have made all these. So he's acknowledging the Lord as the creator and trying to stand in the gap, but the Lord is telling them, and he, he, he makes it very interesting, the people he chooses here in chapter 15, verse 1. The Lord answered Jeremiah's plea. And he said, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be a favorable towards these people. Now it's interesting that he would, he would um, pick out two guys. Of all the people in the scriptures, he picks out Moses and he picks out Samuel. And he said, even if they were here, well, that's, that's putting them on a pretty high scale. Wouldn't you agree? And as if Jeremiah quite isn't up to that caliber, even, even if it was Moses or even, even if it was Samuel. Well, Moses, we're told, um, was the meekest man who walked the earth. Uh, we, we're told in the Hebrews that he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. In other, in other words, he knew all the mathematical equations, probably incantations, of the other side, and um, you know, apparently, some heir to the throne, and yet the Bible tells us that he chose 
to have the suffering with the children of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. And Egypt was known, of course, for its pleasures, the Vegas of its stay. And he says, no, I don't want that. I'm going to choose the suffering with God's people. And he didn't even want the job to speak. He says, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. Aaron, now there's a guy who can talk. Pick him. He says, no, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. You don't worry about it. But here he is. He's, um, again, of quite stature. We read in the book of Jude that when he died, we don't know where his burial site is, but Satan was interested in it. And we have um, Michael and uh, Lucifer disputing over the body of Moses. Well, what's that all about? Answer, I don't know. That's one that I have back here that I want to find out about someday. And just the fact that he brings it up is, is really used as an example of respect towards authority, even when it's bad as Lucifer. But Michael just said, oh, the Lord rebuke you. And that was the end of that. So the other one, Samuel, of course, was called as a young boy. He got to know the voice of the Lord. And he anointed uh, David. And he was around and for Saul. Um, he was the one that brought and told Saul that the kingdom had been stripped from him and given to one um, that had a heart that would be obedient. It was Samuel who said to obey is better than sacrifice. And the Lord gave Saul a job, and he didn't do it. And so he says, I'm going to find somebody who will. And he found David. So that's what they're known for. Um, Samuel, a great prophet. And the Lord singled these two guys out and said, hey, look, Jeremiah, even, even if Moses and Samuel were here, I'm not going to change my mind. My mind's made up. Um, I'm going to cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. And it shall be, if they say to you, where should we go, then you will tell them, thus says the Lord. Well, such are, uh, are going to be for death to death. Some are going to die by the sword some by the famine, uh, and some are going to go into captivity. So what he's telling us here with the, the people in Jerusalem that are hearing Jeremiah, here's the option. You're going to die of the famine or by sword, or you're going to be taken and you're going to be in captivity for the 70 years that I told you about. And I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, and they are the sword, the dogs to drag, the birds of heaven to, to, to eat, devour, and destroy. I will hand them over to trouble and to the kingdoms of the earth. Now, before I told you, the Lord says, I'm not going to do it because of your fathers. Now, we're going to find out who he was had in mind when he said that, and that's in verse 4. He said, I will hand them over to trouble and to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Manasseh, or Nina, no, no, that's not right either. Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, that's it. The king of Judah for what he did in Jerusalem. Well, what did he do? Well, you need to turn back and we're going to look because the Lord says the judgment is coming because of your fathers, but he's got one guy. And here's where one man in leadership and we can identify with this, that can 
can uh, bring down a whole country in a couple of terms. Let's turn back to 2 Kings chapter 24. His father was one of the best there ever was. Uh, There's so many applications that we could get into here. Lord came to Hezekiah and said, put your house in order, I'm bringing you home. And Hezekiah has a pity party. And he goes, oh Lord, you forgot all the good things that I did for you. And he turns his face to the wall and starts pouting. And the and, um, Lord says, all right, that's what you want. So he sends the prophet back and he says, okay, tell you what, you got 15 more years. And Hezekiah got to live for 15 more years. The only things that's recorded about those 15 years is two major events. One, Manasseh was born. Manasseh should have never been born. If he would have just listened to the Lord, and when the Lord says, I'm bringing you home, you say, praise the Lord, I'm going home. Instead, he goes, oh, I don't want to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. Amen to that too, brother. (laughs) And that's that's just the way it is. We have this um, natural phobia, fear, of uh, crossing over the valley of the shadow. Why? We've never done it before. And yet, here's what I've discovered over the years. The older you get and the more you know this book, the more you look forward to it. I don't know how to say it any more simpler than that. The older you get and the better you know this book, the certainty of uh, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. And, um, but that comes with time. But he got his 15 years, and the second thing was, when he got, was healed, and they put up some figs on his, his boils that he had, and he got, he got healed, well, the word got out, and some of the Babylonian dignitaries came down to wish him well. And now he's feeling good. So he feels like showing off a little bit, and he shows all the glory of, of, of the treasures in the temple. And um, Isaiah comes up to him and says, what have you been up to? Oh, I just had this great visitation from the guys from Babylon. What do they want? No, they, they didn't want anything save, glad you're feeling better. What did you show them? Well, I pretty much showed them everything. And Isaiah says, now hear the word of the Lord. The day is coming when everything that you showed them, they're going to come and take. So if Hezekiah would have just said, thy will be done, uh, Manasseh would have never been born and the Babylonians would have never seen the treasure. Let's pick it up in chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Now in the day Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up to Jehoiakim, so this would be after Josiah, became his vassal for three years, then he turned and rebelled against him, probably paying tribute and taxes. And uh, Jehoiakim just said, I'm not, I don't want to do that anymore. So the Lord sent against him uh, raiding bands of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans are Babylonians. Bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant and the prophets. Surely, at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight, notice, because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. 
and also because of the innocent blood that he has shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. There it is. He had gone too far. He had caused such decline after his father Hezekiah. If you go back to verse 13 of of chapter, um, let's pick it up and go back to chapter 23. And I want to pick it up at verse 19. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Josiah. Then Josiah took away all the, the shrines of the high places that were in the city of Samaria. And the kings of Israel made him to provoke the anger. Um, he executed all the priests of the high places who were on, on the altars. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover has never been held since the days of the judges who judged, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, uh, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, uh, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spirits, so he's really cleaning house, the hosts of God and the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the, the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and his soul and with all his might was according to the law of Moses, nor after did any rise like him. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the fierceness of his wrath. With his anger was aroused against Judah because all the problems occasion by which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel. See, Israel, past tense, has already been taken and cast off the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of Judah, which I said, my name will be in it. Um, Now, let's go back to Jeremiah. And we're in 15, verses 3 and 4. And we read here earlier that the Lord says, I will not forgive them. Don't pray because of your fathers. And there's one in particular, and it happened to be Manasseh. Now, picking it up in verse um, um, 5, let's take it up through 9. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will be mourn you? Or who will turn aside to ask you how you're doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You've gone backwards. Therefore, I stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I'm weary of relenting. And I will winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sands of the sea. And I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a plunder at noonday, and I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. She languishes, who has borne seven. She has breathed her last. 
her son has gone down while it was yet day, and she has been ashamed and confounded. And the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemy, says the Lord. It's almost poetic if it wasn't so drastic in what he is saying here. But if I would sum up chapter 15, as Jeremiah is interceding, he said, no, I made my mind up with Manasseh. They crossed the line. Even if Moses was here, even if Samuel was here, it's not going to change my mind. Moses prayed once um, that the Lord, he stood in the gap for the people, and the Lord heard. And, uh, but here, not so. So, you know, put yourself in Jeremiah's sandals, and um, he's just like the Lord appeared, I mean, the angels appeared to the Lord after the, his temptation for encouragement. Jeremiah needs encouragement. We all need encouragement. How do you get encouragement? Well, you're doing it tonight. Any time that you're taking time to sit down and have your quiet time, um, you're being encouraged. First Corinthians 14 says that all, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so think what your gift is, all of them without exception is given so that you build somebody else up. You know, that's what it says, that all the gifts are given for the edification of the church. So if you have a spiritual gift, the reason the Lord gave it to you was not for yourself, but to use it to encourage somebody else. One exception. And that's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. And the gift of tongues is for self-edification. Now, I believe there's other ways that you can encourage yourself. I like to play guitar and sing in the morning when I have a voice. I tried it this morning, and I just said, it's not happening today. <laughs> I don't know if it was my, um, uh, didn't take my Florinase or whatever it was, but today's not, I have good days and bad days. No singing this morning, so I just played, played a little bit. But music, I think music, there's a reason that David put the Psalms to music. We read the words. But you get both sides of the coin. You can have the dark night of the soul experience and read it, and it's one thing. But put that to uh, music, all right, you have a whole other dimension. Are you guys tracking with me? Now take it to the other extreme. And now you're happy, and, and the Lord has blessed you, and you're happy for some reason. So then what does it say? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Do it with a trumpet. Do it with tambourines. Do it with drums, loud-sounding drums. So much for the argument, should there be instruments in church? Psalm 150, you know, stand on it. It's the, it's the word of the Lord. But my point is, the, the, there are ways that you can encourage yourself. Fellowship. Uh, let me talk to all the Lone Rangers right now that think they can live the Christian life by themselves. It ain't going to happen. I call them Lone Rangers because they're out there thinking they can walk the Christian life by themselves. You can't do it. You actually need each other. What did Paul say? The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Uh, the foot can't say to the ear or the eye to the nose, I don't need you. No, we actually need each other as parts of the body. We each have our own unique gifts and callings, but you're important. And so whatever it is the Lord's given you, some the Lord has given 
uh, the gift of hospitalities. Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. He was an encourager. And sometimes when we think of spiritual gifts, I think we don't realize just how naturally the Lord works in using your spiritual gifts. God works supernaturally, naturally. And you can just, um, uh, um, you know, we give Martha a bad rap because the Lord put her in second place to Mary who was sitting at her feet. But let, let's face it, we need servants who will serve, right? And she had the gift of serving. And she was always serving and always there cooking. And, and um, we, need, we need all of those gifts. Boy, did I get sidetracked. Where in the world was I? <laughs> um, we were in... Um, which one? I know we're in the Bible somewhere. I just... <laughs> I'll find it here. Just let me find my, my notes real quick. Um, say it loud. Oh, five through nine. Okay. Yeah. On ten, thanks. I knew it. I was just testing to see if you guys were listening or not. All right. Um, oh, yeah, the whole idea that uh, um, these are going to be desperate times and I'm not going to deliver them, says the Lord. So the words of encouragement, that's where we got sidetracked. Mm -hmm. So we all need, the Lord's going to try to encourage Jeremiah. Woe to me, my brother. Thank you. You have borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent for interest nor have men lent to me for interest. Every one of them curses me. And he's saying, I have a tough gig. You haven't given me a good message. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. And um, everyone just plain curses me out. But the Lord said, surely it will be well with you and your remnant. Now, I just want you to think for a second. I think of Noah. And Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be when he comes again. What was Noah's generation? It says he was faithful to his generation. And if I would look at his life and I would look for fruit, I'd look for fruit. And when I say fruit, a lot of people think people. How many people are involved in the church that you go to? Well, that's not, uh, that's not a litmus test for fruit. Noah had no fruit. Jeremiah had no fruit, if you're looking at it that way. But it says that he was faithful to his generation. What was he faithful in doing? telling them that judgment was coming, and he did so for his whole life. Who listened? Nobody. Jeremiah was faithful his whole life. Uh, was he fruitful? Absolutely. Because what the Lord had given him to do, he was faithful in. Jeremiah is not a people pleaser. He could care less. He's standing before the Lord, and he says, this is what the Lord has told me to do. And the litmus test is not numbers. It's whether or not it lines up to what God has called us to do, period. And so, um, he says, everybody curses me. And and the Lord says, surely it will be with your remnant. Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of your adversary, in the time of affliction. Can anybody break iron, the northern iron and bronze, your your wealth and your, your treasures? 
I will give a plunder without price because of all your sins throughout your territories. Now the Lord is speaking again back to them. And I'll make you cross over with your enemies into a land which you did not know. Speaking of Babylon. For a fire is kindled in my anger which shall burn upon you. O Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me. And take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not take me away in long suffering. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. We read that scripture on Sunday. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you um, because of what you've done and, and suffering for me. Your words were found and I ate them. I like this. And your word to me was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name. He was called. From the very get-go, he was simply called. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand. For you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as water that will fail. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall, and they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you to save you. doesn't matter what the majority thinks as long as your heart is right before the Lord. That's what's being said here. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. So chapter 16 is, uh, again, um, interceding on Jeremiah's behalf. It begins again... Um, saying even if Moses and Samuel are here my mind's made up we learn that the main reason for the judgment is because of the sins of Manasseh and just how one man can uh, cause God's judgment to come further down the line let's see if we can get through 16 the word of the Lord also came to me saying you shall not take a wife nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place um Now, the reason for this is the extent of his calling, almost like Paul. And um, Paul could have been married. We don't know. Peter certainly was. We don't know about the other disciples. Uh, Paul said it was a gift that the Lord had given to him. Um, But here he clearly tells Jeremiah, and I think it was because of the times and the message that he had. He said, for thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in, in this place and concerning their mothers who bore them and their fathers who begot them in this land. They all die gruesome deaths. Now, who likes to hear that? You know, anybody that's watching right now, they're looking forward to the joy of having their baby. And then they're reading Jeremiah 16. And um, they go, I don't want to hear that. You know, I'm, I got plans for my kids. I want, them, I want them to grow up to learn how to play ball. And, um, and experience the things that I grew up experiencing. Um, here's the reality of uh, what's happening here. And here's where I see the parallels 
with Israel in its last days and the United States of America heading into its last days. I see direct parallels here. And um, it's just tough time to bring up kids. Now, I got one cat, okay? That's, that's enough to handle right now. And when I think about the times in which we live and sending my, let's say I had sons and daughters. Let's say they're in elementary school. There's no way I would send my kids to elementary school today. With what they're teaching them, and I don't mean to offend any Christian teachers that are here tonight or those that may, might be watching live stream. Um, it's, it's not your problem. It's the administration over you that has mandated certain things that are now going to be taught in school. And everybody knows what I'm talking about here without me getting sexually graphic. Stuff that should never be taught in elementary school or even challenge a young man by saying, are you really sure that's what you are? Well, that's what's being taught. And you think for two seconds I would let my kid be in contact with a student like that? I'm glad I only have one cat. I don't have to deal with that. But my heart goes out to your, your families and to find encouragement with this and what you're thinking and working it all through. We're living in those days. And that's why the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, no kids, no wife, because of the land. And he's very, very blunt. And I can't, here's the thing about teaching through the Bible. There's a lot of this stuff I just as soon go around. I can't. I gotta go from verse three to verse four. Verse four is hard to read. They will die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor will they be buried, but they shall be like refuge on the face of the earth. They will be consumed by the sword and famine, and their corpses shall be by the sword and famine, and uh, by meat, by the birds of the air, and by the beasts of the field. For thus says the Lord, do not enter into, into the house of mourning, go, nor go to lament or be mourned them, for I have taken away my peace from the people, says the Lord, and loving kindness and mercies. Both the great and the small will die in this land. They shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for them, cut themselves, nor make themselves bald from them. Nor shall men break bread in mourning for them to comfort them for the dead, nor shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their fathers or their mothers. Also, you shall not go into the house of the feast to to sit and with them and to eat and drink. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And um, it shall be that when you show this people all these words, And they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Well, then he will say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me. Again, we have to zero in on the big decline of Manasseh and how it was the Lord had said it's gone too far and because of this I'm bringing judgment and I'm going to raise up a prophet his name's going to be Jeremiah 
And he's going to just tell you guys over and over and over again, don't pray. I'm not listening. Your fathers have gone too pass, too far. And you're going to get a 70-year time out to think things over if you don't get killed before then. Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, they have walked after other gods and have served them, worshipped them, have forsaken me and not kept my law, and you have done worse than your fathers. Okay, now we're getting to the point. Worse than Manasseh? Yep. And we talked about it earlier, right up to child sacrifice. So they are even worse and worshiped them and forsaken me and not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, each one walks according to the imagination of his own heart, so that no one listens to him. The way we say it today is, everybody, just do your own thing. What's your thing? If it feels good, do it. Well, when you come to the Lord, the first thing that we find out real quick is we're no longer calling the shots. Uh, We have to pray about everything. So you want to give me an amen? In all your ways, acknowledge him, right? Are you going to give an account to somebody? Well, I I actually understood that when the gospel was being housed what they call counting the cost, which the Lord says to do. That needs to be explained in salvation today when you're talking about an invitation to accept Jesus. Jesus said, count the cost. It doesn't just say walk the aisle and raise your hand. No, he says think it through. You count the cost in following me because it's going to cost you. And you better be prepared for all that lies ahead. Um, uh, Here, no one was listening to him. Everybody was doing their own thing. Some people raise their hand and walk their aisle, and they still do their own thing. And they think because they raise their hand or walk the aisle, that that's all that needs to be done. Not so. Therefore, I will cast you out of the land into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, and I will not show you favor. Now he's talking about what's going to be future tense, when they're in um, Babylon for a whole generation, a whole 70 years. All right, let's finish it up tonight with verses 14. Sort of a positive note because it's intertwined and interlaced throughout the scriptures where God has a future promise of restoration for his people. And he says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said... The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from the lands from which he has driven them. For I will bring them back into their own land which I gave to their fathers. Now this could have a double application. When it says lands, plural, um, into their land, it could be just the Babylonian captivity that we have in view here. But Isaiah 11.11 says, I will bring them back a second time, and this time from the nations, not just Babylon, the city. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall uh, fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them, and every mountain and every hill and out out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on their ways, they are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I will 
repaid double for their iniquity and their sin because they have defiled my land and have filled my inheritance with the carcasses and their detestable and abominable idols. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you. There you are, guys, right there. The Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself, which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Now when we get into the book of Ezekiel, that's coming up after we get done here with um, um, Jeremiah. This is going to be the reoccurring phrase. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. It occurs 54 times in the book of Ezekiel. And it's all leading up to, it's all leading up to this one major event that's in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And, um, Well, at our get-together last week, we were talking about some of these things. Mary was talking with one of the gals about apologetic ministries, and people can have blind spots. They can really know certain areas of the scriptures really well because um, that's their ministry. If you're in the apologetics ministry, then you're pretty much given over to that. But in this conversation, she mentioned, well, it's sure leading up to Ezekiel 38 and 39 real quick. And this person said, what's 38 and 39? And it was really a shocker because we have some of the best apologists in the country there. But the Ezekiel 38 and 39 more, which would be very common to this fellowship. And that's when the Lord manifests himself openly and fights on behalf of, um, against Russia, Iran, and those that are listed. And that's what we see taking place in the world right now. Every day it's somewhere else and nobody reports it. I mean, how many people were killed in Baghdad? Just, what, today or is it yesterday? Tomorrow it's going to be somewhere else. But, you know, it's going to be about Donald and Hillary till November. <laughs> so we have that to look forward to. But what's really going on in the world is why we have the news bites. And um, so it's really important that you are informed. And again, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought tonight. As Jeremiah has a very unpleasant message to give, I'd like to tell you things are going to get better. But they're not. The, the days will wax worse and worse, not better and better. There's going to be more of a falling away than a revival. So those who are out there declaring, yeah, there's one more big revival that's going to take place, I don't see it. I see a remnant that are going to stay the course, and they're going to be like Jeremiah in the minority. Can you handle it? Jeremiah need to have encouragement. But um, when it gets right down to it, I know what the Bible says about these issues. I know what some men think about them and what some false prophets prophets would like to twist them around for their own profit.
And I see that happening too. Don't let it affect you. This is the standard uh, that we judge everything else by. And if I can get an amen, we'll pray. Then let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Tough book, Jeremiah. But Lord, you know what, what we're thankful for is you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And there's nothing good in here that Jeremiah says except judgment is coming. And you won't let him off the hook. And um, he even said unless Moses and Samuel were there, he wouldn't change his mind even with that. Lord, your word is clear about false prophets in the last days. And that the true church, like in Philadelphia, it says they had little strength, but they kept your word and they did not deny your name. And you opened up a door of ministry for them because of it. They weren't known for being big, but they were known for keeping your word and not denying your name. So, Lord, I just pray that um, you would help us as we make our way through this book and how it is pertinent to the times in which we live. We thank you, Jesus, because you always tell us the truth. And um, we're grateful for that. And we're grateful that you've uh, prepared a place for us and that we're just passing through anyway as pilgrims and strangers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.